Rama Bijapoka, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School podcast series today on innovation in India and China. I know that you've written a book entitled um, We Are Like That Only, Understanding the Logic of Consumer India. Now, why does Consumer India have a different logic from other countries and other markets? Because uh, it is, I think, uh, completely chaotic, and I think it's uh, it's a country of one billion individualists and lots and lots of communities and lots and lots of chaos, and uh, we're the world's largest democracy. And democracy, as you know, is a mixed blessing. Everyone has an opinion in addition to a vote. Um, so I guess the uh, the thought is that uh, Consumer India does things the way it's supposed to do things. Um, because uh, uh, it has its own particular logic that may seem illogical to the others. But we are different. But you also spoke, as others have done about China, of it not being a homogeneous whole, of there being many different Indias. Can you just sort of tell us some of those lovely little stories about how Indian uh, families and people have different ways of thinking, the Chipwatis, for instance? Oh, those... Stories. Uh, yes, I, I, I did make the point that there are lots of Indias, and uh, the India that is, uh, is that the story you want to hear? The India that is the agricultural India, the farmer, uh, he doesn't really care what happens in America because uh, his life is really dependent on the rain gods. But on the other hand, if you look at the whole IT sector and all these kids who work in IT, I mean, when the NASDAQ sneezes, they actually catch a cold out here. And, um, well, there are... I guess uh, women, I was telling you the story about women uh, or women in India, you know, the, a lot of people celebrate the fact that as more women go out to work, households will change. But I think the way uh, women are in India, uh, outside the house, you know, all, all oriental cultures and more so India, we have a great tolerance for ambiguity. So we have this and that. So outside the house, you, I am Rama Bijapurkar, the management consultant who's talking at the judge business school. And the minute I step in through the front door, I will tuck my sari around my waist, this, this bit of it, and uh, just go back to being Aparna's mother and having to make the chapatis, which is positive labor when I make it for my child, but to make the chapatis is negative labor when I have to make it for my mother-in-law. In that case, how can any business possibly predict the Indian market? You're not a homogeneous whole. You're changing depending on where the geography of the country is, metropolitan or rural, depending on, on the age of the Indians and people, whether they've been brought up and with ethnicity. the IT and ethnicity. It's an impossible market to break into. It is, an, it is a possible market to break into if you come with uh, humility and you say that there are, for example, if you're a food marketer, then I think you have to realize that there are hundreds of different cuisines and uh, you're going to have to make your choices in terms of uh, which is your particular India. You just have to be able to deal with complexity. So... The rest of us are actually able to deal with complexity, so why shouldn't a marketer be able to deal with complexity? And I know that you personally believe or you champion the fact that India, above any other country, can challenge the concept of consumer markets, of, of multinational corporations, that you can feed your, your own values into these and change them. How do you think that will happen? 
I think it's already happening to some extent because it's a very stubborn consumer. So I guess uh, along the way, uh, the mighty McDonald's is now actually offering potato uh, burgers and, uh, you know, the, the kind of stuff that comes out of uh, Pizza Hut is not a pizza you'd recognize anywhere else. I think India has, uh, we have a particular kind of Chinese food called Punjabi Chinese. And um, Punjabi Chinese now opens restaurants in Silicon Valley as well. So that's one part of it. But I think the more uh, interesting part is that uh, there is an opportunity in India to actually, uh, with India, to create a different kind of consumer society. Uh, it doesn't have to be hyper-consumerism. It doesn't have to be keep consuming more than you actually need. Um, for example, a lot of people ask me, when will India be ready to be green? And the point is that we actually do have a disposable culture. We recycle everything. We reuse everything. As I jokingly say, the last thing we voluntarily made the effort to throw out was the British after which we actually uh, will recycle and reuse everything. I mean, if you look at the banana leaves we eat out of, if you look at what happens uh, in a lot of uh, even smaller urban households. So to actually drive this entire culture down the route of plastic and cardboard and hyperconsumption so that you can then bring it back to green seems like a bit of an irony to me. So I think it is an opportunity to, uh, by just being who it is, I think companies will adapt because there are only two human motives, greed and fear. So companies will adapt to this particular type of consumer demand in India? Yes, they will, because I think we have seen a lot of multinationals who came there, hung in there, uh, you know, uh, wrote off their equity and net worth two and three times, and then eventually now when cola companies are selling water as compared to cola, I think you know that somewhere it's true. And how important do you think that that will be as an export? Do you think if you change the values of these multinational uh, corporations, that will then transfer outward in, instead of these values coming inward? That India now, uh, as it is growing, as, as it is becoming a diaspora in, in some senses, Indians as labour force all over the global world, that that will feed into a changed corporate value? I think it will feed into, I'm not saying this is going to happen instantly, but I think even now we can see over the last 15 years, I think when people first came into the Indian market, the multinationals, they would say, we've seen it in Mexico, we've seen it in Brazil, we've seen it everywhere else. And, you know, I used to work in a consulting firm with a partner who said to me, he was a Dutch Brit, and he used to say, why do you think you're different? Do you wear your noses on your ears and does water flow uphill in India? But I don't think he would ever ask that question today because today I think, uh, even as you saw in today's presentations, uh, India, that India is a difficult country, that you have to bend to India rather than uh, sort of pressure the market into submission is uh, fairly, I think, well established. So from there, I think companies will start uh, changing um, the challenge. And I think if they change over certainly a couple of generations of management, I think there will be the understanding that the center of gravity of global is shifting and is shifting towards India and China. So I think, uh, yes, the minute they accept that there is a new center of gravity of global, uh, which is India and China, then I think you will find companies will change. So it's inevitable. And you talked in historical times about the cell phone changing India in much the same way as the automobile did America. Yes. Why do you think that? 
the um, entire society, for example, in, in, in America, the entire society was constructed around the fact that uh, the car companies had the automobiles and so they, for you had takeaways and you had drive-throughs. The entire retail environment was uh, you drive far away and then you get factory outlets and so on. Whereas here, the point with the cell phone is that every vegetable vendor has one, right? Today, we don't have to step out. Uh, you just call and he will bring it home. Uh, it's changing gender equations. I mean, you know, earlier if the phone was in the living room um, and uh, you were in an orthodox family and your husband was overseas, uh, if he called, your mother-in-law and your father-in-law would all be monitoring your conversation. Whereas now we find, especially in the rural areas, uh, there is a chap with a cell phone who actually is a mobile uh, booth for you. And so you'll find this young bride can go far away, hide under the tree, and lots of movies actually are made around this, and tell her uh, husband that, you know, they actually ill-treated me. She can tell her parents that. And it just makes everybody uh, sort of pay a little more attention. And I think that the, uh, the amount of productivity of the small Indian entrepreneur is really because the cell phone empowers you. Well, there are two stories you told. One is of the missed call. Let's deal with that one first. Okay. Um, Most telecom companies actually make their money by looking at how much money people actually spend making calls. Uh, But in India, even uh, the people who do have cell phones and can't afford to make the calls, if they had to call someone who was better off than they were, they would say, Madam, I will give you a missed call. And give you a missed call means that they will call you, you see their number, they will disconnect, and then you call them back. And so if you travel to a different city and you have a roaming cell phone, the driver who's supposed to pick you up in the car will give you a missed call, and he doesn't have to pay roaming. And so now the missed call is actually a product that was invented by the customer that the mobile company has no choice uh, but to actually have. And I think it's, it's, it's completely uh, creative. It's, it's, it's a stroke of genius the way they can actually do that. Well, you talk about that stroke of genius and how intuitively the Indian businessman, the small businessman, yes. perhaps the businessman with just a yes. shop, takes to enterprise. Yes. So, for instance, in your own shopping bill, you know, he phoned up because there were some items missing and those items were missing because your daughter yes. was away. That's a yes. lovely story of yes. how, how, you know, you yes. don't have to have a corporate plan. You can work it out by your own ingenuity invention and nows. Yes. In fact, it's actually customer-focused, the kind big uh, big companies don't do. In fact, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you another story. Um, you know, at weddings, normally, there are these girls who do put the henna on your hands, right? And they've suddenly spotted a new consumer trend, and it's a sheer consumer insight, where they're finding that a lot of the richer, some of the richer kids are actually marrying foreigners, or you have... Um, NRI families were non-resident Indian and they're coming in for the weddings. And so you have two things. One is that they've extended their service to help you uh, wear your sari. So they're helping all these outsiders wear. And then they've shifted the tattoo, the henna from the hands to the middle of the back because a lot of these girls are wearing backless blouses. And you have shopkeepers who are actually willing to do uh, uh, in you know, just two days alter everything for you. So it's, uh, it's, it's little, little things like this that you actually see um, everywhere. I mean, I uh, know of uh, a particular uh, shopkeeper who, you know, you put the, the, the dot on your forehead is usually made of felt with an adhesive at the back. And the company makes it such that the adhesive falls off after a while, so you have to use a new one. And someone has actually made a little box, a, a little bottle which has the adhesive for it, so you can stick it back on if you want to. And this is real attention to consumer needs, isn't it, which big companies uh, somehow, somewhere don't have. I mean, can I tell you one more story? No. Yeah, it will do, because what you, you seem to be saying is also that it's 
changing social practices and relationships. You mentioned, you know, the mobile phone. You can yeah. say someone's mistreating you. But you also talked about arranged mad- marriages and now videos yes. to, to introduce people. Yes. So, so it's huge social change as well as business change. It is social change, but it's not as in ring out the old and ring in the new. It's social change where you have new ways of just doing old things. So the story I was telling you was that uh, typically if you had an arranged marriage situation, it's called seeing the girl the ceremony of seeing the girl, which means that the boy's side will come and their aunts and uncles and everybody and they come into the girl's side and um, then they're fed and they're given all the good stuff. She's made to pick up a tray and she's made to walk around with it so everyone knows that you know her limbs are normal and she's capable of doing these things. And sometimes they say yes and no. Now, if you have 10 such events, it's bad for your self-esteem and it's bad for your purse. So there is an agency um, in Bombay that actually video shoots this whole thing. So you don't actually have the boy side. It's the video that goes out of the girl doing all these things, carrying the train, walking. So it's not like you're doing something different or you're moving away from arranged marriages. You've just innovated a new business model, if I can say so, which doesn't have the expense of actually physically feeding them. It's just virtual food. And uh, they ask you three questions. Can you sing? Can you dance? Are you homely and wheatish complexioned? And and life goes on. So uh, there are lots of these uh, new ways of doing old things. I mean, today you can actually, even, even if you go to a temple, you can on the internet get the blessings and um, I have an aunt who actually takes the phone off the hook towards the end of a puja prayer ceremony so that the last bits can be heard by her grandchildren in America, and therefore we believe blessings travel. <laughs> but, but you've got an incredibly ingenious and inventive yeah. society, but one tips for any business that might want to emerge in this market, and to where will it all end? I think the uh, tip for the business is uh, the, the, the two. One is that uh, uh, everybody, all uh, India doesn't want to grow up and become like America. It cannot grow up and become like something you've actually seen somewhere. So understand that we have a hydra-headed monster that will grow up to become its own kind of grown-up hydra-headed monster. It won't become like someplace else. I think that's really uh, the, first, the, the, the first message. And I think uh, the second message is really to say that can you bring order into this entire chaos and build scale, but not build it for what you already know, but build it for what they're already doing in this market and you know, co-create with the market. I think that's, that's really what we're saying. Build for India, make for India. But it's exciting, fun time, particularly in your own consultancy and business of marketing in India. It must be anything goes, but but study the market and and see where it may go next. Yes, it is uh, study the market. It is, uh, in fact, reading change in India is very, very tricky. I mean, the, 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 the two kinds of change. I mean, one kind of change is like a snake. It molts and the skin is wrapped around the tree and you have a whole new snake. But the other is like an amoeba with every little bit of food it takes in, it changes shape infinitesimally. And then before you, after, you think nothing's changing and then you have a whole new amoeba. So a lot of the challenge for us is actually to be able to read these very tricky, sneaky little signs of change. I mean, for example, we don't have feminism. We call it womanism. Womanism is slowly the worm is turning a little bit at a time and saying, you know, I also have a right to exist. <laughs> so it's, it's different. Well, finally, if I were to, to bite back at you in your book, Understanding the Logic of Consumer India, I might say from this conversation, but there's no logic. I think that's precisely the point, that there is a logic. If you think about logic 
the way Indians think about logic. There's a very good logic to missed calls and there's a very good logic to engineer, to, to video marriages and there's a very good uh, logic to um, how women get liberated or there's very good logic to our politics. I mean, earlier we used to say you don't cast your vote, you vote your caste. But now slowly over time we're beginning to find that uh, there is a logic and it's called uh, performance pays, but it's a certain kind of performance and not another. So I think we're really saying if you look at logic without any preconceived notions of what logic ought to be, that's an illogical statement, but we're really saying there is a pretty damn good reason why, so can we try and find that pretty damn good reason why? I think that's really the idea. Then I will just recite the beginning of your book title, We're Like That Only. Thank you very much indeed, (laughs) Rama, for talking to Judge Business School podcast series today on innovation in India and China. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it too.